0: To the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Thanks for joining us for Grow, our first series of 2017. I um, have to tell you a cool God story because I love it when God shows off, and it actually ties into what we're talking about today. Um, so the snow has kept a lot of people kind of stuck down. We, we drove home last night from the wrestling tournament, but the bus didn't come home. The kids stayed there. My wife happened to drive down to watch the tournament, and so we jumped in to pick up and came home. Probably shouldn't have, but uh, actually we shouldn't have. The roads were bad, but I'm stupid. So um, one of our drummer for this morning got stuck, um, couldn't get here. And so we found out last night we were going to have a drummer. So we were here Without a drummer this morning, they were just going to do without a drummer, right? And this guy just happens to be his second week here and just happens to hear that we need a drummer. he's like, yeah, I play drums. Like, what are the odds? God, God provides, like God's just showing off. He does that kind of stuff, right? And I love being able to tell those kind of stories about God. Like, isn't, isn't coincidence great? So today we're we're talking about God's part in this whole um, maturing discipleship thing. And so, uh, last week we introduced this graph that we talked about. I want to throw it up and review it. So this is this is the graph that we talked about. This pathway of spiritual maturity that. Jesus says that spiritual maturity is relationship with God and relationship with other people. That's what, he, that's what he says. This is all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. So maturing then would be able to be increasing in our capacity to do both. Both deepening our relationship with God and deepening our relationship with other people. And that's a, you know, what does that look like? We have to create space for those and, and be intentional about making time for our relationship with God, and be intentional about making time for our relationships with other people. We have to be intentional about both of those things. We can't fall too far off one side or the other, okay? Because if we're just about people and we don't have any depth of character to our spiritual being, we don't, we don't have the capacity to withstand it. If we're all about relationship with God and we don't care about people, well, then you're just kind of a legalistic jerk, so we don't want that either, um, so there's this marriage between the two, and we have to live in this, this bandwidth of energy that each one of us has, and the number of people that fit in that energy is different for each one of us. And, and so maturity would be being able to figure that out and live there, not being overextended too many relationships with people, but also not using it as an excuse to be underutilized and not enough relationships with people. And we do both. And so we want to make sure that we live in this bandwidth well. And so that's, that's kind of where this is at. Now, at the end of the sermon last week, what we talked about is that there's three parts that are at work in our relationships with other people. There's God's part, there's their part, they have to do a part, and then I have to do my part, okay? And so for the next three weeks, we're going to unpack those. And today, what we're going to focus on is what is God's part, What are the things that only God could do so that as we're walking, moving, living, breathing in the world, as we see God at work, we can join him. Because what I promise you is, if you want to live a blessed life, which I think all of us would say, blessed is better than not blessed. On a scale of good and bad, blessed is better than not blessed. So that being the case, if you want to live a blessed life, it is a whole lot easier to just find where God's already working and get in it than it is to live a life where we're trying to coerce God into being a part of what we're a part of. That just doesn't work. Does that make sense? So we want to know where is God working so that I can get in that. So I don't know if you know this, but he's God and you're not. You're amazing, but you are not God. Like you're I don't know if you know this, but you're you're kind of a big deal. But you're not God. And so God has the right to set the rules and the boundaries of life. And, and, and I want to talk about why that is to begin with. We're going to open with the, uh, the book of Job, which is a great place to talk about the sovereignty of God. Um, Job is one of those books, if you've ever read the book of Job, it's kind of funny. Um, the book of Job is like when really bad things are happening to you, so people will go, well, read the book of Job. No, don't ever read the book of Job when bad things are happening to you. It will lump... Pain upon pain, that's what I will do. If you're struggling, read Philippians 4, man. Like Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. I can do all things through Christ. Read that chapter. Don't read Job, like boils and people dying and riches. Like Don't read that. That's terrible. So people have tried to make sense of this book of Job. Why are we telling the story uh, in the Bible? And there's some great points to be learned from the book of Job. One is... Um, why bad things happen to good people. Like that's a good conversation that comes out of Job. And that's a, as part of that there. Another one that I think is really significant is in your life, if God took everything away from you, would God be enough? If God was all you had, would that be enough for you? That's a great conversation to have out of the book of Job. Um, here's a cool thing. In Job, there's this massive, we've talked about, we've talked about chiastic structure, Before in literary, it's a literary tool used by writers of the Bible and writers of other literature as well. But chiasm is a is a literary structure that kind of mirrors itself, and in the middle we find the point. I got good news for you. The author gave us the point that they were trying to make. We didn't have to guess. So that's cool. Let me show you what I think the author who was God. Was trying to say. You guys should be like, all right. We get authorial intent and the author is God. So I'm right and everybody else is less right. All right, I'm going to call you wrong. Let's just call you less right. You guys, come on. I, I went to bed at two and I had to drive through stupid snow to be with you people. Don't leave me hanging. Yeah, somebody does. (laughs) Okay. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it, the proud beasts have not trodden it, the lion has not passed over it. Man puts in his hand to the flinty puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they are not a trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? Okay, let's stop right there and talk about it at this point. Here's what Job is saying at this point in the book Men are capable of some pretty incredible things. Like we mine deep into the earth for some incredible, we find incredible treasures. The problem is, the thing that's most valuable in this world isn't gold, it's wisdom. How many times do the Proverbs say, trade all your riches for wisdom? It's more precious than silver, more valuable than gold. No matter how deep you dig, no human can find wisdom. You know why? Let's read on. But where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me, and the sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it. And we all want topaz from Ethiopia. Nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and Death say, We have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and He knows its place. Here's what Job is saying You humans are capable of incredible things. And the treasures that you can uncover in this world are amazing, but none of them are worth as much as wisdom. And God is the only one who knows the source of that. He's the only one who knows the source of that. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens, when he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it, he established it and searched it out. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord that is wisdom and turn away and to turn away from evil is understanding. God is is the source of wisdom. So when he gives us a way to do things in this world, it matters. No matter how smart you are, no matter how well-read, how well-educated, how much you trust in your own personal savvy, you cannot come up with a better way to live this life than God can. You can't. Because God knows the source of wisdom and we do not. Does that make sense? So there are things that only God can do. And when we see God doing these things, we must join him in his work. This is the way we're designed to live our life. The problem for us is we have our own dreams, our own aspirations, (coughs) our own desires, our own wants, our own whatever. And so we're like, God, I'm gonna start this business and I sure hope you're gonna like that. Now, maybe, maybe he blesses it, maybe he doesn't, but I can guarantee you this. If you wanna live a blessed life 100% of the time, find where God's working and get in it. And it's not hard. It's not like, how do I even, how do I even do that? It's so complex. It's not complex. It's actually really, really simple. The problem is we have to be dialed in spiritually, relationship with God on that spectrum. We have to be dialed in enough to be able to observe it. And so, like, obviously, one of the things that we talk a lot about here is reading the Word. And I'm, I'm passionate about that. Like, you should read the Word, spend time in it. But you should create space in your life, margin for disciplines. And we're going to talk about this more when we get to the my part section of this series. But, like, contemplation and introspection and solitude and rest and fasting and all of these other disciplines, they help us be able to dial in so that we can be aware of what God's doing in the world. That's why we do these things, okay? So that being said then, my part is to be able to create margin for relationship with God and create margin for relationships with other people. Either one that I'm avoiding is a problem. It's a problem, okay? God's job is to do the things that he does. Because he's the source of wisdom, my obligation then becomes to conform to that, not the other way around. There's this raging battle in the theological world. Can I change God's mind? Like, if I can't change God's mind, then why pray? Well, I'll tell you why. Because prayer isn't about your shopping list. Prayer is about your heart becoming like God's heart. First thing. But can I change God's mind? Why would you want to? Because he's better than anything you can come up with on your own. Like, his gig is the best gig going. It's the one way that will always lead you towards the fullest extent of your created purpose. So stop trying to come up with a better way. Do it His way. It always works better. And yeah. you have peace. Like, the Bible says all kinds of stuff, but like per- perfect love casts out fear. When you sit in the pocket of God's perfect love, you don't have to be afraid anymore. No fear. No separation between you and other people. It's weird. It's creepy. I want to show you some things that only God can do. Number one, only God draws people to himself. You can't do that. You can't draw people to God. You can't do it if you lasso them with Wonder Woman's rope, the lightning rope, and drag them back Two, you cannot draw people to God. You can't do it. That's important for two reasons. One is because you need to stop trying. And two is because when you see people questioning God things, that is God's invitation to you to join him where he's working. Hear me in that. this isn't my idea, by the way. This is all stuff that's taken out of, directly out of Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God. Super practical stuff. Great workbook. Uh, I really encourage, if you haven't done it, I really encourage you to do it. But this isn't my stuff. I stole it. Um, every great truth is stolen from somebody else, right? There's no great originator of truth except for God himself. All truth is God's truth. We're just figuring it out. Uh, so, only God draws. Look at uh, John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is Jesus' words. Nobody comes to God unless God draws him. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Well, then why, why, like, what is it? The word draw there literally means to be brought to a point of decision. God is going to do everything that he can to show you who he is. He's going to invite you, invite you, invite you. You get to choose whether or not you're going to jump in on that or not. Yeah, you jump in on God's program or not. Why that matters is, why that matters is because if you see somebody, maybe even somebody that you've been praying for, maybe even for a long time, and you see them all of a sudden starting to question God things, spiritual things, that's not an accident. That's God at work recognize it for what it is and then have the courage to step into it because what a lot of you will do is you'll go to work or you'll have a friend or whatever, you'll be sitting around talking and all of a sudden they'll bring up spiritual things and you'll be like, ooh, I gotta call the pastor. Yeah. Do not. If you call me and you say, man, my friend and I were talking and they start talking about the Bible and we need your help. Here's what I'm gonna say to you. I love you. Let me know how it goes. Because that's God's invitation for you. It's not God's invitation for you to drag me away from my family. It's God's invitation for you. And if you're like, "But I don't know." Well, you got from now until then to get prepared. Read the read the Bible. Get busy. get after it because here's the second thing second thing that only God can do only God can cause people to seek him only God draws people to himself only God can cause people to seek him so when you hear people talking spiritual conversations people and it can be simple stuff as much as like there's got to be more to this life there's got to be more is this all there is Maybe that's it. Maybe the, the, like, you don't come to that conclusion on your own. That's God's invitation to you to step into that person's life. And I, this is what I call it. I call it going fishing. Let me tell you how it works. I'm not an angler. I'm not a, I mean, I like to fish, but I'm like a, I'm like a bobber and a worm fisherman. Like, I would be fine sitting on a bit because for me, fishing is about disconnecting from reality, not being all, we're going to, find the hole and we're gonna drive with the boat with a 100 mile an hour boat and I got a tackle box full of 800 lures. You know, it doesn't matter if they're biting or not. They, we will find the one that works. There are people like that. That ain't me. Um, what I do know about fishing is you can go to a fishing hole that's really good and you can put on a lure and you can just slam them. There's, you're just yarding fish out with this lure. Go, you go back to the hole the next day, same time of day, Put the same lure on, throw it out there, nothing. You take that lure off, put another lure on, flip it out there, you start slamming them again. You gotta find the right lure for the right occasion, right? This is, so for example, if if you're at work and and somebody's like, hey, what'd you do this week? And you're like, oh man, I went to church. The the sermon was amazing. Course-altering discourse. That Aaron guy, probably walks on water. <laughs> like, try it. See if it works. <laughs> don't, don't say that. Don't say that. But if you're like, man, I was in church this weekend. It was awesome. And they're like, oh. what? Okay, that lure didn't work, right? That lure didn't work. Don't try to force it. Don't be like, but wait a minute, let me tell you. Just, hey, what? I'm having this, I'm having a struggle, whatever somebody shares with you at work or a friend or whatever. I'm just, I'm really struggling with this. Can I pray for you? Oh, yes, I would love it if you would pray for me. Ha, boom, fish on, right? Like, we got him. That one, that lure worked. Like, whatever. The, whatever the lure, and here's why this matters for, for a guy like me because I'm not like mega evangelist guy. I'm not. I wish I was, but I'm not. Some people are, I'm not, I'm not the guy. This takes the pressure off because I don't have to force Jesus down anybody's throat. I just have to be aware enough of God in my own life to be able to see where He's working around me. And then I just join Him where He's already doing stuff. So when somebody comes to me with a spiritual question or to you with a spiritual question, God's at work. God's at work in that moment. Now, there are other people that are like, you know, sandwich board and a bullhorn standing on a street corner. You know, if that's what you feel like the Lord's telling you to do, don't, I'm not God, you don't listen to me. I'm just saying, I've never heard any conversion story where anybody said, I was walking down the street and this guy with a bullhorn yelled at me and then I was like, yes to God. I've just never seen it work. Never heard that story. Now, if that's that's how the Lord calls you to live, you do that. Like, don't listen to me. I'm just saying, I've never seen it work. What I have seen work again and again and again is when we just live out our own lives in a way where we're consistent with what Jesus would want us to do and we're dialed into what the Lord's doing in us, then we're able to be aware of what's going on around us. And that's a big deal. Number three, only God reveals spiritual truth. Only God can do that. So when somebody comes to you and, and starts talking to you about this weird spiritual thing that, man, I was thinking about, like, there's got to be more to this life. There's, there's, is there something beyond here? Like, you have these conversations with your friends. I think we don't recognize them for what they are often. But we do have these conversations with our friends all the time. This is God's invitation for you to have that conversation with them. It's God's invitation. By the way, for those of you that are here and you're like, I don't even buy into this Christianity stuff. Do you think it was an accident that you showed up here this morning? Like God has so got a hold of your heart, you might as well just follow him now. I'm just saying, it's going to go way better for you if you just give in now. (laughs) Because he's got you. Hooks in. And by the way, it's the best thing, best thing going. It's not, God's not just true. Following God is better than anything else you come up with on your own. I've tried. I've tried it. Number four. Let's look at the number four thing. Only God convicts the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is John sixteen eight. Jesus is talking to his guys about um, He's gonna send the Holy Spirit to them. In John 16, 8, it says this. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now listen to me. If that's his job, it's not your job. And you gotta let God do his job. Stop trying to do God's job because you're not good at it. And the tension that we have is Like, well, then do we never talk about, do we never bring God into the conversation? Well, no, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but at the same time, be careful how we talk about God with people who don't follow him because it's really important for us to understand that he's the one that brings conviction. He's the one that convicts people about sin, righteousness, and judgment. God is the one who says, maybe... There's more for you. So freeing for me though, because all I have to do is be present and available when that happens in someone's life. That's all I have to do. Now that demands that I'm in relationship with other people. And it demands that I'm in relationship with people who aren't in relationship with God yet. Like I should be there. Not only, but I should be there. It also demands that I'm in relationship with God so that I can be dialed in enough to see when it's working. But at the end of the day, when God brings conviction in a person's life and you see it, that's God talking to you too. That's God's invitation to you to join him where he's working. So if we stop trying to force feed Ram the gospel down people's throats and just walk the gospel out. It's incredible how many times we get to see God at work around us. It, just, just be aware. Just be looking for God's working. What happens is, too many times we we uh, get up in the morning and we'll pray, "Lord, use me today." Like we all want to be used by God. Use me today, God. And then we sit down on our bed at the end of the day and we're like, God, you never, you never used me today. And it's because he didn't hit you upside the head with a baseball bat, but there was a thousand opportunities that you had to join him in his work and, and I wasn't dialed in enough to notice it. That's the problem. It's not that God isn't working. Jesus says that God is always at his work. God's always working. But he also said, even Jesus said this, I can only do what I see the Father doing. Like this is the key to the kingdom life. God is always working and my job is to join him in his work. This is not hard. And he's not elusive. He's not even hard to find if we'll be dialed in enough to look we've got to let God do his part. Only God draws people. Only God causes people to seek him. Only God reveals spiritual truth. And only God convicts the world. Only God can do that. So we need to let him do that. We got to do our part. Now, all kinds of implications for that. And for many of you, maybe like right now, You've been praying for somebody, maybe even for years and years and years, maybe even somebody that you love very much. And I get that, I hear that story a lot. And I just want to tell you um, there's hope. There's hope. Hang in there, keep praying. Don't force them. Keep praying and then watch where God's working in their life and join Him there. And it's going to be maybe even just a little, just a little sliver of something. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's all there is. But join God in His work. It'll always go better for you. It will always go better for you. We're going to move towards the Lord's table. And while we're doing that, uh, I want to say that if you're new with us, we have an open table. And what that means is anybody willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake. Um, While they're passing that out, I want to ask you uh, to hold the elements till the end, and we'll take them together. We're going to work through some implications. Probably lots more. These are a few that I think are particularly significant. Number one, God is the source of all wisdom. Do you believe that? I do. And his wisdom is for our good. God is not just trying to control you. God is actually trying to set you free. And it's our own foolishness that keeps us bound. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have that to its fullest. Right? That's his desire for you. For you to have the fullest life possible. His wisdom is for our good. So stop trying to improve on his plan. Next one. We cannot improve on God's plan. No matter how much you want to, you cannot improve on God's plan. You gotta learn to trust it. Got to learn to trust God's plan. When you do, what happens is all the anxiety and the, the, the managing of all the details, the weightedness of living this life, it, ha- it gets to go away. So for those of us that came in here burdened by details, weighted by managing all the things in this world, I watch people, I, I, all the services, you guys are all like, somebody's got sore ribs in the relationship. So let me just say this. First of all, you're killing yourself and you're driving the rest of us nuts. So stop it. <laughs> <laughs> if you long for peace, learn that God's plan is better than anything you can come up with and he's already got the details covered. Absolutely. And you can rest in that. Amen. Next implication. God works in people as he sees fit and in his time. And I know for a lot of us, we've been praying and praying and praying and praying for people and praying for people and praying for people and, for people, and it feels like you're praying to a blank screen, like, come on, God, throw me a bone, something. Give me some evidence that you're hearing these prayers. Listen to me. God works in His time and in His way, and He's faithful. He knows what needs to happen. And maybe, maybe you're the closer. For that person. We all want to be the closer in every relationship. We want to be the, the one that's there at the moment that they say yes. It is quite m- much more likely, quite much more likely, it is much more likely that you are a bumper pad for a pinball to bounce off of and somebody else is going to be the closer. That happens way more. Here's the deal. If it's really about that person and not feeding your own need, just relax and keep praying just relax and keep praying. Last implication, learning to trust God's plan and God's timing is hard work, but it will create a deeper sense of peace than we could ever imagine. Because like stress and anxiety, worry, control, all that stuff is evidence that I'm not trusting the Lord's work. Like worry is practical atheism, right? I don't believe that God has this. If I really believe that God is who he says he is, that God controls what he says he controls, and that God's plan is good and faithful and right and true and best, then why would I panic when things don't go according to my plan? I would suggest this. And one of the reasons why we take communion every week is because there's really not a truth that we can learn from the scripture that will ever be applied as long as we try to hold on to our own life. Like, if you're going to have real peace in your life and let God do his part, you're going to have to lay your own agenda down, which is what communion, it's part of what communion is for us. It's a reminder of what it looks like to lay our life down for other people. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks and he said, "This is my body, which is given for you. So, whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me." So let's remember Jesus this morning. And in the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So, whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me." And so, Lord, I just want to ask this morning that you would um, give us the peace and the patience and the rest the focus, and the determination to be able to trust that your plan is best and right and good. And Lord, I would also ask that you would give us the courage and the determination to follow it, believing and trusting that you are faithful. Thank you, God, for never leaving us and never forsaking us. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.